I'm Darius Slayton, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Watch Nation. I am Cody Carpentier, and these are the top 10 thoughts from week number three in the NFL season. Again, if you are here on YouTube, please click that like and click that subscribe button. We much appreciate you if you are on podcast. Be sure to rate it five stars and tune in every single week, Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays for podcasts and live streams. Now, last week, if I pull up my sheet, some of the things that we kind of touched on were Zach Wilson is who we thought he was. Three interceptions. Bounces back this week. 50% completion percentage. Loses to the New England Patriots with opportunity. Sam Laporta, big game potentially coming. He hits that big game, scores 22 fantasy points in this one. Jalen Hyatt's role must expand if the Giants are going to win. Jalen Hyatt's role did diminish. He did nothing on Thursday Night Football against the Niners, and they got walked like a dog. The reason Zach Charbonnet was not playing is because he's not as good as Ken Walker and Ken Walker's in his element. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. And Justin Fields is gonzo in Chicago. That was on Monday. For those of you that tuned in and watched live on Monday, I said Justin Fields is done. And then all hell broke loose on Tuesday with a press conference of him calling out his coach. On Wednesday with him fixing that and saying, oh, no, 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 it was me. Always blame me. Always blame me. Well, we're blaming you. We're blaming you, Justin. That's what we're doing. We love you for fantasy football when you're competent, but you haven't been competent. For NFL, you you have not progressed one bit. And everyone wants to say, well, you know, the coaches around him could really help him progress. <clears throat> it takes work to progress. There's a reason Johnny Menzel never progressed. Johnny Menzel didn't work. Johnny Menzel didn't put in the effort to progress in the NFL to make it work. He also had a bunch of other stuff going on against himself. Now, maybe Justin Fields is fantastic off the field. The polar opposite of Johnny Manziel. But what it shows us on the field is that he's not putting in that true work. He's not putting in the things we're hearing from Anthony Richardson, right? The eight hours a day in the film study. But Anthony Richardson has progressed further in six months than Justin Fields has in three years. Put that together. Put that together. Doesn't make sense. But this is week three. We're here for the week three top 10 takeaways. What's going on in the chat? If you are here, Michael, why? What are we doing? What are you doing? What's the caffeine today? The caffeine today is Celsius orange. This is one that I've, I've started to drink like more so in the mornings because I have a sweet tooth, right? So I like the rains. I like the Red Bull, the summer edition with the Juneberry. I like the coconut Red Bull. Um, I've always liked the monsters, but the monsters, man, my tongue, when I drink stuff so much, my tongue just is like, it loses it after about, you know, a thousand cans or so. So we're kind of there, but Celsius orange is kind of like an orange juice. So I drink that as like my morning orange juice. It's that Celsius orange. That's the caffeine for the day. Aaron, how we doing, brother? 
I've seen Celsius. Is that good? It's fine. Uh, you definitely have to find the flavor that you like. I, I like the orange one just because it's kind of like an orange juice in the morning, but there's some bad ones. Like we got this variety pack from Sam's Club and it's got a mango in it. Not a fan of that. But my wife is, so that's what it is. I like watermelon. They have a couple of fit ones that are kind of disgusting, and they also have a couple of like orange dreamsicle ones. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, anyway, let's get to the top 10 thoughts of week number three. First and foremost, number 10, Jordan Love has shown enough. And when you look at the statistics, this is, again, Jordan Love's 25. This is Josh Allen's rookie season reincarnate. All right? He's got a little bit of a better team around him, I would say. But this is Josh Allen's rookie season incarnate, reincarnate. He's 2-1. and one. He's got a 53.1% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, one pick. Josh Allen's rookie season, 52.8%. So 0.03% less, 10 touchdowns, 12 picks. This is the thing is that I'm going to compare this to Josh Allen's rookie season, but you have to remember the decision-making and the way this offense is built in Green Bay is that much more uh, appropriate to making the covering the quarterback up from making mistakes. Right, playing with Aaron Rodgers is going to cover you up from making mistakes. That's part of the head game where you're not forcing that football into those tight windows. You might miss, but you're not forcing that football into those tight windows. So that's one thing that Josh Allen does have up on that – or sorry, that Jordan Love has up on Josh Allen's rookie season. If you go back and you go to PFF and you look at the pressure, pressure numbers, Josh Allen's rookie season, he was 39th, dead last in completion percentage under pressure, 28.3%, 28.3% dead last when pressured look at 2022 sorry 2023 jordan love is dead last 24th with a 25 percent completion percentage against pressure these guys are eerily similar they're eerily similar similar in size and when you look at um the comparison of concepts when you're talking about play action when you're talking about not play action play action Jordan Love's completing 57.7% of passes. Not play action. He's completing a whopping 51% of his passes. We can go back to 2018, and we can bring up our friend Josh Allen in the same context. Josh Allen, 58% play action. Josh Allen, not play action, dead last, 50.6%. These guys are doing kind of the same thing, kind of similarly. The difference is this is Love's third season, but it's his first year as a starter. He's showing promise, and that's enough for me because you know what he came from. He's worked with Rodgers, so he has, I would say, a majority of the mental stuff figured out already because he's not just being thrown into the fray like Josh Allen was. The positive is his throwing coach, his quarterback coach, is the same guy that works with Josh Allen in the offseason, Jordan Ballmer. So, one plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four. If they had the same throwing coaches and the progressions went the same way, I know that Josh Allen went and had a, a completely different uh, uh, setup after that first year, and he got his throwing motion completely fixed. I'm not saying that Josh, Jordan Love's going to go do that, but what I am saying is a season of reps and then an offseason, a full offseason as the quarterback again, we're talking 2024, Jordan Love's going to take another big step, and it's going to completely box out the Vikings and the Bears in this division. And it's going to be a Packer-Lions competition for the next couple of years. Like this, Jordan Love looks like he's going to be 
keeping this team afloat. Like you're ta- you're talking about a roster right now that is depleted of talent on the os- offensive side of the football with Christian Watson being out, Aaron Jones being out, David Bakhtiari being out, Elton Jenkins been Elton Jenkins being out. Jair Alexander didn't play on Sunday and they came back from 17 down to beat the Green Bay or sorry, they came down from 17 down to beat the New Orleans Saints. This football team should not be taken lightly. This Packers football team has done uh, so much more than we expected them to do. I love Jordan Love coming out. I did not expect him to break out year one, year two, year three. Obviously, we all knew he was going to sit behind Rodgers, but I'm happy with what I'm seeing from him. And I think the progression is only going to continue to build for Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. And you guys know how much that pains me to say because I absolutely hate the Packers as a lifelong Viking fan growing up. Number nine of the top 10 thoughts this week. Again, if you are listening live, please click that like and subscribe button. If you are listening to podcast, please click that five star. We much appreciate you trying to build this YouTube channel up to the tippity top. Appreciate you guys again. Number nine, Byron Murphy. Yes, Byron Murphy. Do you know that name? Cornerback from the Minnesota Vikings. Finished tied for third in targets last week in the NFL. Yes. Keenan Allen had 20 targets. Devontae Adams had 20 targets. Byron Murphy had 14, which tied Adam Thielen of the Carolina Panthers. Why does that not make sense? It doesn't make sense because Byron Murphy's a cornerback and he's not a freaking wide receiver. Levi Wallace was also in this bunch, but he was not as obvious at the time that he was getting targeted this heavily other than the fact that it was Devontae Adams on the other side. So I guess it could be equally as looked at, but if you look at the coverage grade from PFF, Levi Wallace's was 70, Byron Murphy's was 37. So you noticed it more because Murphy was getting dogged all day. 14 targets for Byron Murphy. He allowed 10 receptions, which is 71%. For 185 yards, majority of that came against Keenan Allen. A little bit came against Mike Williams. Two years, $17.5 million deal for Byron Murphy in this game. The only other cornerback to be targeted as much as he this season was Trey Avery in week two from the Tennessee Titans, who played against Puka Nakua. But Byron Murphy's supposed to be, he was supposed to be the cornerback that came over from Arizona. He didn't play much in 2022, played nine games. He was supposed to be the guy that comes over, the second-round pick, the first guy in the second round from 2019. He was supposed to be the guy that comes over and kind of helps this Vikings defensive backfield kind of just come together, stay somewhat tight with Harrison Smith, with young Cam Bynum, with young Makai Blackman, with these young DBs, and it's just not working. And you're seeing that with the Vikings right now at 0-3. Byron Murphy is flopping at the cornerback position for the Minnesota Vikings. Number eight. Crazy enough, there is still a buy window for Jameer Gibbs. This one is befuddling to me because I've watched the games, and Jameer Gibbs looks great. Week one, he has seven carries for 42 yards and two targets. The snap share. 27%. Week two, he had seven carries, 17 yards, and David Montgomery gets hurt and he starts getting targeted. He has nine targets, 48% snap share. So he showed you 
they showed you what their plan was to give him seven carries and a little bit of passing work in week one. Week two, he got his seven carries and they were working in passing game again. Percentage of snaps goes up from 27 to 48. Week three, no David Montgomery. Zonovan Knight is activated. Craig Reynolds is activated. Zonovan takes 10%. Craig Reynolds takes 29. Kabinda takes 14. Jameer Gibbs goes from 27 to 48 to 60. 60% snap share, 17 carries, 80 yards, averages almost five yards per carry, and he's targeted once. We're getting a mix and mash of what they've wanted, right? I think in an ideal world, Montgomery obviously comes back, and it ends up being about a 12-carry Montgo- Gibbs and about a five-target Gibbs. I think that's an ideal world for the Detroit Lions with both of these backs healthy because they're smart. They're not doing what the Jets are doing. They're not forcing Brees Hall on the field when he's not 100%. Brees Hall, 12 carries, 18 yards, two targets. Inefficiencies happen when your guy's at 100%. So they understand, hey, we need to have these guys healthy for the long stretch because we have a good football team. So they're not going to kill Jameer Gibbs when David Montgomery is already hurt. This is a competent franchise. That is the big takeaway here. There's still a buy window on Jameer Gibbs in all of fantasy because people don't think he's doing anything. People are scared. They're like, well, carries but no targets. Targets but no carries. What is this guy? He's not even good. Turn the tape on. Quit looking at the goddamn box score. Jameer Gibbs is great. You've seen it from Bijan. You're really going to let this guy completely slide past you because that's what he does to everybody. Even the offensive line and the defense just slides right by him. Could be a colossal mistake that to buy on Jameer Gibbs. Makes no sense. Guy's an elite wide receiver. Plays the running back position as slick and slean as anybody. Like an Elvin Kamara. Shout out to Elvin Kamara. He's coming back this week. Great tweet. Great tweet by Elvin Kamara this week on his uh, being released from suspension. Number seven. Devon A-Chain was a mistake. I made a mistake on Devon A-Chain during the draft process because he's 5'10", 185 pounds. And my thought was, this guy's got all the talent in the world. He's got all the speed in the world. His knees are a little tight. He's directional. But who does that lean towards? That leans towards the San Francisco and the Miami offense. And it worked. So I missed on Devon A-Chain. For that reason, right, the directional running, he's got the speed, he's got the talent. But my thought was, there's no way this guy's going to pay off at first-round fantasy football rookie draft pr- draft pr- capital pr- pricing. Devon Achain can't take 35 carries or 35 touches like Chris Johnson could back in the day. It's just not what the NFL is anymore. Chris Johnson had 350 touches in one season. A menace. Same body type, same frame, same speed. Can't You're not going to see that. The thing I didn't take into account was the fact that Raheem Mostert might be healthy at the same time that this guy plays. You thought, well, Raheem Mostert's going to get the run, right? And they're going to pass the ball a lot. Mostert's going to get the stuff. Mostert gets hurt. Maybe A-Chain comes in. Maybe Wilson comes in. That was the thought. The thought wasn't, yeah, A-Chain and Mostert are going to play together and have 42 touches for 375 yards and eight touchdowns. That's not the thought. That that doesn't even go through your head because there's never been a human in this earth to do that as a one-off in the NFL. Derrick Henry might have did it in high school, but 
This is the NFL. Devon A. Chain proved this weekend. He also had a 40-yard touchdown called back on a hold where he didn't get touched. He bent the edge so perfectly and didn't get touched. This duo is sick. I didn't think that one dude was going to be able to get the opportunities to be the Chris Johnson that everyone comped him to be. It turns out two healthy dudes in this offense can indeed be better than Chris Johnson, which is wild. So I was wrong on Devon Achain, and I'll own that because this isn't it's an outlier, to be honest with you. We've never seen a duo backfield look this sick. Never. Number five, sorry, number six. The Vikings and Chargers game was too perfect for the Vikings and Chargers to play football. Just with, the, with a, just over two minutes to go in the game, the Vikings went for it on fourth down from the two-yard line and failed. The Chargers got the football back, 28-24. The Chargers gain, you know, a, a first down, you get to the 24-yard line, and they fuddle out. They go goes to fourth down, and they go for it on fourth down. They run the ball on fourth down from their own 24-yard line and fail with less than two minutes to go in the game. They're up by eight. Sorry, they're up by four. They're up by four. Up by four on their own 24, and they go for it on fourth down. So the Vikings already failed from the two-yard line, right? So that's the most Viking thing you could do is just have the game in your hands, the opportunity's there, and you can't block for two yards and score a touchdown, right? Philadelphia does it every single week, two or three times a week from the one two-yard line. So then you give the ball back to the Chargers. The Chargers go for it on fourth down from their own 24, which is a fireable offense in my book. They fail. Vikings get the football back. Vikings get down to the six-yard line. There's a play they run, a pass over the middle, and they get down to the six. That play was snapped at 41 seconds. The next play was snapped at 12 seconds. That play was not a spike. That play was not a throw out of the end zone. That play was not a something that was going to salvage time. That was a throw over the middle that was picked off. The Chargers-Vikings game was the most Chargers-Vikings thing you could have ever thought of. After the game, Kirk Cousins says, yeah, I couldn't hear anybody. Couldn't hear the play call come in, so I just called my own play. It's not the first time I've done that. It did work in Buffalo last year, but I had to call my own play because the Vikings fans are so loud when their own offense is at at play. And I know that firsthand. It's coming the most idiotic shit you'd ever seen. I've been to a lot of football games, more than 70 NFL games in my life, most of them in Minnesota. The fans have gotten so dumb, and they do this literally every game. Since they got into the new stadium, every game, it's just idiotically loud for no reason at the most inopportune times. The boards can say quiet, and the Viking fans will yell. And for that reason, with 41 seconds on the clock, the Vikings run a football run a play down to the six, and the stadium's going berserk. Kirk Cousins can't hear his own play call because his own fans are so loud. But think about how idiotic that is. So at the six-yard line, he runs his own play, throws a pick game over. Instead of spiking it and giving yourself 25 seconds to run two or three plays. The Vikings-Chargers game was the most Viking-Chargers ending you could have ever thought of or seen. 
ever. I don't know if you could have written one up better. Failed two-yard line for the Vikings. Give the ball back to the Chargers. They go for it. On fourth down, they're on 24. The Vikings get the ball back and throw a pick in a situation that should have never even existed. Number five, Jacoby Myers is maybe a by mid in Dynasty? Maybe? Jacoby Myers looks good. You just look at the stat sheet on the surface right now. Devontae Adams had 20 targets in this game, 13 for 172 and 2. Jacoby Myers, 12 targets for 7 receptions and 85 yards. It looks weird when they're watch- when they're on the field together because it's 17 is Adams, 16 is Jacoby Myers. They both have the dread sticking out of the back. They both wear the same exact garb. The black jerseys look fantastic on these two. But Devontae Adams' mannerisms have rubbed off on Jacoby Myers. And I don't know how much longer Devontae Adams is going to play. I would assume it's going to be three, four more years. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in Las Vegas with the way this team looks. But I do know Myers got paid this year too. And Myers looks really – Myers. I keep calling him Myers. Myers looks really good. For those of you that don't remember – when Devontae Adams was younger, he did not have the best start to his career from an alpha, uh, best receiver in the league aspect. The first year in Green Bay, he had 446 yards. Comparable to Jacoby Myers' first year in New England, 359. Year number two, Adams only had 483. Year number two for Myers, 729. Year number three for Adams, 997. Year number three for New England, for uh Myers, 866. Year number four for Adams, 885. Year number four for Myers, 804. Year number five for Devontae Adams was the year that he broke out with 170 targets, 1,386 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Myers is in his year five right now. I'm not saying he's the next Devontae Adams, but what I'm saying is the career arc is still opportunistically open for Jacoby Myers. He's learning from arguably one of the best receivers we've seen the last decade. Top three, I would say, of the last decade, maybe two. He's learning from that guy, learning all of his mannerisms, literally. If you watch the game, it's, it's, it's evident. And he could potentially be an alpha-type guy. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying he could potentially be an alpha-type guy if the opportunity is given to him. Like if an Adams leaves... Or, or they get a new quarterback, and whatever happens. Devontae Adams didn't break out until his age 26 season. Didn't have his 1,000-yard season until his age 26 season. If Myers is 1,000 yards this year, that would make him age 27. Myers entered the league at age 23. Adams entered it at 22. Same career arc. That's all I'm saying. I think Jacoby Myers is an interesting buy mid right now because his value is perceived middle, I think. I don't think he's a buy low. I think he's a buy mid. And I think that's a fine buy right now because if Adams misses time, I think Myers is going to – I'm not saying he's going to roll into 20 targets, but he's going to continue to get a massive target share. Number four, C.J. Stroud is who we thought Trevor Lawrence was. 
That one could be taken in multiple different ways from multiple different people because people have strong feelings towards Trevor Lawrence and towards C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud looks amazing. C.J. Stroud has complete control of this Houston offense. Complete control. The composure, when there's Ed Rutgers in his face and his chin, and he just stands in there and lets that ball rip down the field. This Jacksonville offense is a freaking mess, and I'm not sure they know how to fix it. They're in a weird spot right now. Through three games, C.J. Stroud is thrown at 65% completion percentage rate, four touchdowns, no picks. And out of 121 pass attempts, he's completed 78. Out of those 78, 42 are for first downs. I know Trevor Lawrence struggled the first year. And everyone's like, well, yeah, you know what? This guy named Peyton Manning, he struggled his first year too. And you know who the guy was that we compared this guy to? He just happened to be sure, you know, he just happened to be Peyton Manning. Equally, as we talk negative about Justin Fields, I'm not going to talk negative about Trevor Lawrence, but I am going to say this guy's 13 and 24 as a starter in the NFL. 40 touchdowns, 27 picks. He has not exactly hit the threshold that we dreamt of. His completion percentages dropped two points through the first three games compared to last year where it was 66.3. It's now 64.6. The team was supposed to be the best team in the AFC South. And last I checked, they should have lost week one to the Indianapolis Colts, and they just lost to the Houston Texans. They should be 0-3. Should have, could have, would I understand. But I'm just saying Indianapolis looked better than Jacksonville did in week one. I'm kind of worried about Trevor Lawrence. I'm more worried about this entire team than I am of just Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine. I'm just worried about this team. Dropping the football as much as they have. Calvin Ridley needs to get targeted more, but Calvin Ridley needs to catch the damn football. There's talent in this offense. I also think it's poor from a Jacksonville Jaguars perspective to just say, yeah, man, we want to get Trevor Lawrence, to, or we want to get Travis Etienne the football 18 to 25 times this game. And then when that doesn't work in the first half, because it's 17 nothing against the Texans, you go into the second half with the same attitude. And you just say, man, yeah, we're just going to keep on feeding Tra- Travis Etienne. Not sure that's the best plan of attack. I'm worried about the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I'm less worried about C.J. Stroud because C.J. Stroud has showed through three games what he can do and who he is. And I love what C.J. Stroud looks like. Total first downs in the NFL right now. Tua Tungvaluva, 54. Herbert. And Kirk Cousins have 49. Stroud and Allen have 43. Mahomes has 44. So he's top five according to PFF. And according to pro football reference, he has more than that. 42. Oh, it's same number. 42, sorry. 43. So he's top five in first downs. That's That was the point. Number three, Luke Musgrave is the next rookie 
to have a big game. Last week, we called the Sam Laporte a big game. That was so evident just watching. If you watch these football games, dude, it's so easy to kind of find that next breakout. Four players got targeted for the Lions last week. Amon Ross, Sam Laporta, Khalif Raymond, and Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs only had two. Sam Laporta, 11 targets, 8 for 84, a touchdown. You're welcome. You're welcome. Luke Musgrave. This, 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 this tight end class is sick. Everyone thought Kincaid, you can write it in pen. He's going to be the best in the class. La, 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 la. Kincaid looks fine. We haven't seen it yet. Mayer is just blocking in Las Vegas right now. But Musgrave and Laporta are still in the show at the tight end position. They're not Washington's blocking a bunch, but he's garbage. Musgrave and Laporta are doing the thing. Last week, Musgrave had eight targets, six for 49. He barely crested 10 fantasy points. First time all year in three games. But he had opportunities down the field that Jordan Love, who we talked about a minute ago, missed him on. He was open down the seam on a, probably a 45-yard throw. If that ball is perfectly placed, who's telling where Musgrave in his 4.65, 4.69 speed goes? Those are the routes that I think Musgrave can take advantage of down the stretch. And the reason I'm bringing up Luke Musgrave right now and saying he's the next rookie to have a big game, and I'm bringing this point up at number three in the top ten thoughts of the week, is because we've looked at these wide receivers in Green Bay. We know the importance of Aaron Jones. When Aaron Jones is on the field, what this offense looks like, it's a shift change, right? The opportunities go elsewhere. They don't go to Jaden Reed. They don't go to Wicks. They don't go to Dobbs. They go to Aaron Jones. And when Watson's on the field, they don't go to Dobbs. They go to Watson. Dobbs is not good. Alante Taylor stayed in his pocket all day. He got peppered with targets, caught 5 out of 12. He's fine. He's a fine wide receiver. Not good. If, if, if Dobbs was great, Dobbs would have had 18 targets. Dontavian Wicks wouldn't have been targeted. That's the facts. I'm sorry. The reason I'm bringing up Musgrave is because when Christian Watson does come back and when Aaron Jones does come back, you're going to see a regression of the Patrick Taylor opportunities. You're going to see a regression of the Samori Torre routes. You're going to see a regression of Jaden Reed opportunities, even though we love Jaden Reed and we think he's going to have a, a spot in this offense. The Dontavian Wicks is going to come down. The Romeo Dobbs is going to come down. But you know who's not going to come down because he's going to continually be on the field because he's the only one in this offense that does what he does is Mr. Luke Musgrave. So when Watson comes back and those Dobbs targets come back and Jones comes back and the Reed opportunities come back, look for Luke Musgrave to have a big opportunity in the coming month and a half. Green Bay plays Detroit this week on Thursday Night Football. They have the Raiders on Monday the following week. They have a bye. Then they have Denver and Minnesota. You're going to get some Musgrave weeks in the next month. That's a guarantee. Number two on this week's top 10 thoughts goes to the running back position. This guy has been quietly a menace because his opportunities have not been maximized and his offense has been fine, even though they've scored 37 the last two weeks. The Seattle Seahawks and Ken Walker. Ken Walker is in his element. He's doing, he's doing the thing. 
talked about it last week. You would never bring in a Ford Ranger to replace a Corvette. And that Ford Ranger, Zach Charbonnet. Charbonnet, I know people like Charbonnet, but if you turn on the tape and you watch the complete game and you watch every snap that Charbonnet takes and you watch every snap that Ken Walker takes, it is so dramatically different. Watching Charbonnet miss open holes that Ken Walker hits and cuts back to without a glitch in the system is mesmerizing. Ken Walker is in his element. He's the dude. He's the guy. He's the alpha in this backfield. Not even a question. The efficiency at which he runs is 3x what Zach Charbonnet brings to the table. They get the Giants this week, the Bengals, Cardinals, Browns. I'm kind of confused by I'm not I shouldn't be confused by it because of course they had Travis Homer and DJ Dallas. And they bring in Zach Charbonnet as a second round pick. They put the capital into him and they're like, you know what, we're done with the Rashad Penny experiment. Let's bring in a guy that we think can pass block, which he can, and we think he can be in this offense at a competent level. Zach Charbonnet, he can break a couple tackles. Bring him in to put him behind Ken Walker. But what they told us at the combine was essentially, yeah, everybody needs to have multiple of these dudes. Like, we're going to use multiple of these dudes. Ken Walker averages 3.06 yards after contact per attempt. Zach Sherbert does average 3.31 yards after contact per attempt. Missed tackles forced. Ken Walker, 14, is fourth in the NFL. He's doing the thing he's supposed to be doing. He hasn't had 20 carries in a game yet. He had two touchdowns this week. Two touchdowns last week. He's caught eight out of ten targets in three weeks. So he's averaging three per week, 3.33, whatever. Ken Walker in this offense, even though the offensive line got banged up early, Seattle and New Orleans Saints were two teams I looked at coming into the season as being sleeper opportunities to make the NFC Championship. Saints just choked one away against Green Bay, but guess what? They get this guy named Elvin Kamara back this week. Don't know if you've ever heard of him. Pretty all right. Changes the course of an offense. Ken Walker and the Seattle offense just put up 37 on Detroit, 37 on Carolina back-to-back weeks. Yes, they lost to the Rams in week one. Divisional games are the toughest in football. And Sean McVay deserves a vote for coach of the year. That could probably be a top 10 takeaway by itself. But Sean McVay does. What he's done with the Rams the last couple weeks, I'm not going to go off and do a tangent on him, but beating Seattle in week one, playing the Niners to a seven-point game, and playing that game last night against the Bengals, like was not the easiest schedule to open up. And I know Burrow hasn't been 100% all year, but – It's impressive to see what the Rams have put on the field, even though they're not a great football team. Number one, the last thought of the week. The Dallas Cowboys are not in trouble. They were just never great. Micah Parsons is awesome. Micah Parsons is is, is potentially going to win the Defensive Player of the Year. He should win the Defensive Player of the Year for his role on this team. TJ Watt might have something to say about that. Miles Garrett might have something to say about that. But I think Micah Parsons probably wins Defensive Player of the Year if he continues on this pace. He's unblockable when he wants to be unblockable. 
But my point here is Dallas is not in trouble. They just aren't as good as they were thought to be or looked at, which happens every damn year that Dallas is perceived to be good. They lost to the Cardinals in Arizona. The Cardinals, you should have saw the writing on the wall. The Cardinals have played tough games each of the first three weeks. Washington, New York, they lost them both. Then they get Dallas at home. Dallas, of course, a team that walked through the Giants, walked through the Jets, you, you, you sleepwalking through the Cardinals, sleepwalking through the Patriots, looking to that San Francisco matchup in week five. That's their own fault. We've talked about it on multiple shows. Dak Prescott doesn't need to do anything until week five. He can sleepwalk. He doesn't need to do anything. They can just run the ball with Pollard, throw the ball 26 times, be done. This defense is going to be good enough to stop all these teams. 40-0 against the Giants, 30-10 to against the Jets, and they got complacent and gave up 28 to the Arizona Cardinals, led by a very efficient Josh Dobbs. Dallas is not in trouble. They just aren't as great as they thought they, thought they were. You know who the best teams are in football. It's the Niners and it's the Eagles. And last I checked, the Eagles are in the NFC East and the 49ers are in the NFC. They lost Trayvon Diggs. That's big. That makes that, That's going to hurt this Dallas defense. But that's not why they lost this game. That's not why they're not great. That's not why they were never great in the first place. This team's just not great. It's good. Dak Prescott isn't great. Dak Prescott is a knockoff version or a better version, whichever you want to look at it. I would say knockoff version of Kirk Cousins. And you guys know I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins guy, but I respect his talents and opportunities. And I know if he was put in New York, he'd probably be a good have a good football team. Dallas is not in trouble. They just aren't as great as they thought they were. That's the bottom line. They got New England this week. They should bounce back and win. They got the Niners. They got the Niners. That's the game they had to be looking at, right? Then they got a Monday nighter against the Chargers before they go into a bye. Then they got the Eagles in week nine. Seattle down the stretch. Philly down the stretch. Buffalo down the stretch. Miami in week 16 in Miami. Detroit week 17. Dallas got their their work cut out for them. Dallas got their work cut out for them. You could find five losses on that. You could find six losses on that sheet. Dallas is a fine football team. Pollard's great. What happened if Pollard sprains an ankle? And it's Rico Doddle and it's Dak Prescott in that backfield. Dallas is fine, but they were not as great as they were thought to be. That's your top 10 thoughts from week number three. Jordan Love has shown enough, as I said, number 10. You can compare his rookie season. You can compare Josh Allen's rookie season to Jordan Love's current season. If you go back and look at all the advanced data from PFF, Pro Football Reference, Number nine, Byron Murphy finished tied for third in targets in week number three. Byron Murphy is a cornerback for the Vikings playing against Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Number eight, there's still a buying window on Jameer Gibbs. Make sure you get out there and attack that because people don't have their brains screwed on correctly. Number seven, Devon A. Chain. I said I was wrong on Devon A. Chain through the rookie prospect process. I knew the talent was there. I knew the speed was there, but I didn't think the opportunity was going to be able to be held by him in that C.J. Johnson, C.J. Johnson, C.J. 2K role. Turns out Mostert plus A-Chain can do more than what Chris Johnson could do. The Vikings-Chargers game ended about as you'd expect. I don't know if you could have written that one up any better. Number five, Jacoby Myers is a by mid in Dynasty for his role next to Devontae Adams and his future role. Remember, Devontae Adams broke out at age 26. He entered the league at age 22. 
Jacoby Myers entered the league at age 23, broke out age 27. And by breakout, I mean had 1,000 yards. That breakout could come this year with Jacoby Myers with 1,000 yards. Could. I understand Adams is there. It's tough to have another 1,000-yard receiver next to Devontae Adams. Number four, C.J. Stroud is who we thought Trevor Lawrence was. Number three, Luke Musgrave is going to be the next big tight end breakout. And down the stretch, you're going to want him maybe more than you're going to want guys like Jaden Reed or Dontavian Wicks because that role is never going to change, even with Aaron Jones and Christian Watson coming back. And that's the biggest takeaway. Number two, Ken Walker is in his element. And number one, the final takeaway from week number three. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in, tapping in to Roster Watch on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Carpenter NFL. You can follow us on Twitter at Roster Watch. Click that like button. Click subscribe here on YouTube. Leave five stars, not four, five on podcast. Number one takeaway from week number three, Dallas is not in trouble. They were just never great. See you next week, friends. Peace out.